Every single human being born is fragmented as a wounded, broken center of gravity, is fractured, the image of God is destroyed with them or, or seriously defaced. Every single human being has grown up disadvantaged, some more than others. Every single human being has been raised by parents who were loving and were whole to a measure, but nobody was raised by anybody that was complete in the image of God. We endured life. We went through experiences, good and bad. Many, many, many people wounded. And so everyone is in need of healing to some measure or other. It's one of the reasons why we can't judge because some people come into the Christian faith at a minus 10. Maybe you came in minus one. You know, they've grown and grown and grown and now they're at plus one and you're at a plus four, but you judge them. But you can't judge them because you don't know what pain they've had to work through. But the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the whole purpose of the Word is to heal us, is to bind up the broken heart. And the end result of that looks like Jesus. Till we come unto a perfect man, the full measure of the full stature of Christ, Ephesians 4.13. Now that is where the Holy Spirit is taking us. That process in technical terms is called sanctification. And sometimes the process is slow of our healing, and I will stick my neck on a block and say often that process is slow. Sometimes it's by the depth of the wounding, but it's dependent on how much of the word you apply. It's dependent on, for example, how thoroughly you forgive the victimizers. It depends on even, you know, you might be angry with God. People get angry with God. God, why didn't you do this? Or why did this happen? Or I don't understand. There's a whole host of ways. So when the Bible talks about forgive and you shall be forgiven, it's a really important principle. Sometimes we overlook it. Sometimes we think it's just the person that hurt us the other day or didn't say good morning when we walked in or something like that. And so you're going to be extremely magnanimous and forgive them because they didn't greet you. But forgiveness is essential to dealing with the issues of our hearts. It's essential in our sanctification. So it's a whole life thing whereby God is healing us. And that's why he gives us his precious word. And um, it's to enable us, because this is a mirror. It's enable us, first of all, to see Christ. It's a portrait of Jesus. So when we look here, we look at him. Sometimes this word becomes a little bit of, there's a bit of self-reflection where it's a mirror showing us our natural selves and what needs to be changed. But the important thing is, by the Spirit, this becomes your medicine chest. This becomes the thing by which you are healed. If you come to know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Is that okay? And those who are set free are set free indeed because He brings a wholeness inside of us. So you can't keep hidden anger. You can't keep hidden unforgiveness. You can't keep any kind of resentment because that is affecting your growth as a person. Is everybody hearing what I'm saying? So it's important for us that when we come to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I'm not talking about an outward thing that you just put on because the Bible says you must be patient. Okay, so I'm going to be patient, and I'm patient on the outside, but not on the inside. And so it's not. 
In fact, the fruit of the Spirit in some Bibles is written capital S because it's um, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But the more correct translation is a little s. It's the fruit of your spirit. Is that good? So the fruit of your spirit by His Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. So just say, I'm in a process of being healed to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? So in other words, that you will look and walk and think and talk and do like Jesus. And it'll be something that comes from the inside. It won't be just outward conformity. So when Paul talks about it in Galatians 5, the freedom for which we've been set free is a freedom to love. It's not a license to sin. Faith expressing itself in love. So in other words, your faith in Jesus Christ should result in your life being a life of love like His. Not only love for God, but love for your neighbor. But not only love for your neighbor, a wholesome love for yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so it's this faith needs to be manifest. So anybody that says, like, I believe in Jesus, it should result in God's kind of love. Not a soppy love, not a love that allows everything under its banner, but a love that is wholesome, that looks like the love of God that's redemptive. So the fruit of the Spirit, as we've already seen over the last two weeks, is that you know, very often we go to that passage in Galatians chapter 5. But Paul uses different language to express the same thing. And he's, I, I suppose he's hooking up on the teaching of Jesus in John chapter 15. You know, the vine is Jesus, the branches are us. The life-giving sap that is in the vine, in the stem, is in the branches. And that connection will cause us to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Branches that are hanging down, he lifts up, he prunes in order to bring forth the much fruit. But the branch that is dead, that is lifeless, that does not have his life, and that's cut off. And all of those verses are important. But we see in Romans chapter 6, Romans 7, Romans chapter 8, that's not the only picture that Paul gives. Paul gives us other pictures where he talks about you know, our instruments, the instruments of our bodies, he said, used to be slaves to sin. So you fulfilled the requirements of your master or the issues of your master. He said, but when you were baptized and got saved, you were baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. He says, now you're under an obligation. He says, and the obligation is now to yield those very same members that were instruments of unrighteousness and slaves to sin to offer them and to become slaves to him as instruments of righteousness. Then he talks about the important principle, the life principle in us is the principle of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? And so he says basically in Romans chapter 8, and I think it's verse 13, he says, put to death therefore the misdeeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Now how do you do that? I mean, I used to try it, really. I used to... And I would try and will the Spirit up in me to change things. It's not a spooky spiritual thing. It's a very practical thing. And I'm going to just venture out, and I want you to understand in the context of the way that I do teach the Word, is that you can't just pray about it. Should I say it again? You can't just pray about it. It's important. Pray about it. But you can't just pray about it. There's other actions. So the Apostle Paul told us, and remember we looked at it in 1 John chapter 2, from verse 15 to 17, 
he says, if anyone loves the world, the world and the things in the world, if anyone loves it more than they love the Father, he says the love of the Father is not in him. And so, so he says the love of the Father is not in him. He says, for the things of the world, basically, are attractive. And he says, for the lust of the flesh, in other words, your flesh has got longings. Try and tell it you're going to fast for three days. See how hungry it gets the moment you say, well, that's it, I declare a holy fast unto the Lord. The flesh goes, what? You what? You've got to be kidding. And then you've instantly got hunger pangs and longings for things that you haven't even been thinking about. Because the flesh is going, no ways, I will show you. Is that okay? And then... I'm going to fast tomorrow morning. As you leave church and you go home, you want a bar one, you want a burger, you want a, you know, and suddenly the flesh does a fight back. Tell your flesh, you know, that you're going to not watch television, you're not going to do anything, but for the next month you're just going to read the word. Tell your flesh that. Suddenly you find, you know, I've never watched Seven Delon in my life, but I think I should watch it. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is what marketing campaigners appeal to. That's why everything's glitz and glamour and beautifully wrapped and the pride of life. It's the promise of all of these things that if you have it, that you will accomplish this and it'll be, you know, whatever. Who would have ever thought that a car sells better when they put a sexy chick on it with a bikini on? She doesn't come with the car. The picture is just there. You know, and the more gorgeous he is, that's, well, that's the car you buy. Mm. You understand what I'm putting it simply, but you know what I'm saying. It appeals to that pride of life thing. And John tells us this. He says, because the things that are in the world, the world and the things that are in the world, he says, are going to perish. But he who does the will of the Father shall abide forever. So what is the will of the Father? Well, fruit of the Spirit. He's contrasting it with stuff and things and whatever that's in the world that has such a strong appeal that promises fulfillment, but there's no fulfillment in it. Real fulfillment. It doesn't mean to say you can't have nice things, and I don't want to have to always qualify it, but you understand where we come from. But in the process of moving away from that, Because let me tell you, people stay in woundedness and stay in insecurity for the same reason. They hold on to those things. Because it gives them some right to be hurt, some right to be offended. The Bible shows us there's no justification ever for resentment and unforgiveness. No justification. It seems tough, but it's not about your wound and what's been happened to you and the victimization that took place. It's not about that. It's about your healing. The more you hold on to that, the less chance you've got of being healed. So the one who does the will of the Father abides forever. All the others pass away, fizzle out, die. So we then touched on it last week. We went into it quite in depth. We were not going to revisit that. But then Paul tacks it from another angle. This morning we're going to tack it from another angle. But Paul tacks it from another angle and he says this. Romans chapter 1 to 11, he elaborates on this incredible salvation that is ours. 
this incredible mercy. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you can follow. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Why the therefore? Well, because of what I've been saying for 11 chapters. He says, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice and a life sacrifice. So in other words, you present your whole body, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, NIV says acceptable, King James says service, NASB, NIV says worship. In other words, this is your reasonable act of worship, is to present your body. The word worship there is not what we've just done now. King James is closer to it. It's your whole life you offer to the Lord, your whole life, as an act of worship, as your service. In other words, your entire conduct of your life. You offer to the Lord, and Paul says it's reasonable in view of God's mercies. In view of that great sacrifice, the most reasonable, logical, appropriate thing you can do is go, God, here's my life. I surrender it to you. But there's a condition with which you give yourself as a sacrifice. You can't say, God, I give you my life as a reasonable act of worship, and then carry on living the way you want to live. That's not reasonable. That's not acceptable. Is that okay? All right. And so then in verse 2, we saw, he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, metamorphosed, by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable or pleasing and perfect will of God. So in other words, once you are in the process of not conforming but being transformed by the renewal of your mind, and we looked at that a little bit in depth, not a lot. We just touched on a few things. And um, Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 that we need to be made new in the spirit of our mind, the attitude of our mind. And uh, remember I touched on it and said your mind has not only got a view, it has a viewpoint. There's an attitude of your mindset, and that attitude is like the old life. And Paul said that the whole attitude has got to change to the attitude of Christ, which he talks about in 1 Corinthians 2, where he says, now you have the mind of Christ. So you've got to have the attitude of your mind renewed to that of Christ. And so we might touch on one or two things there. And so this is all under review, okay, of the last two weeks class, okay? So the review from the last couple of weeks. By the renewal of the mind, then you will be able to test and approve what is that good, because a lot of people that do a lot of good, but it's the good God wants you to do. And then the good that God wants you to do would be acceptable to God. But that which is acceptable to God is always leading you to becoming perfect, perfection. Now that's not perfectionism like we know it. That word perfect is maturity. So the whole goal of all of this that we're talking about, the goal, okay, is perfection. In other words, i.e. maturity. So that's where God is taking us. What does the maturity look like? The maturity looks like this. Ephesians 4.13, unto the perfect man, mature man, Perfect man, i.e., the whole measure of the full stature of Christ. So that's what it looks like. So in John chapter 1, it says about Jesus, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The stature. Okay. 
So that's where God is taking you. He'll never stop working. No, he'll never. No, he's not going to stop working until you reach there. That good work that he began in you, he will bring it to completion. Okay. So this is what Paul talks about. So it's this transformation to what? The same thing that he talks about in Galatians 5.22. Since then, we live by the Spirit. Let's keep in step by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, we will not fulfill the works of the flesh. We won't. Because, and he gives us a list of them. No, we will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness. Against such self-control. Against such there is no law. In other words, the works of the flesh... There is a law against it. Let me say that again, because it struck me this morning. He says, against such, the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. So what prescription are you going to put against maturity? What laws will you prescribe? What do's and don'ts are you going to prescribe to somebody who's walking in love, joy, peace, patience, kindly? He said, there's no law against these, but there is a law against the works of the flesh. Is it too deep? Are you listening? So, uh, because I really want to get this through. I really, I am convinced that what I'm speaking is of God and it's the right time for this. Is that okay? But Pastor John, aren't we a grace church? Yep. And a truth church. It's grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Not just grace. Grace and truth. So this morning I want to just take a little step further and uh, we're going to just jump into the book of Hebrews briefly. Go to Hebrews chapter 5, and I'll give you the verses now. But Hebrews is an incredible book because Paul is talking and writing to the Hebrew Christians who were in danger of falling back because the Jewish, the Judaizers were coming back and going, ah, you can't do this Christian thing, and ah, you're not fully saved because you don't have a temple, you don't have a priesthood, you don't have this, and we've got this, and we've got that, and ah, la, 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 and all this kind of thing. So Paul writes this incredible epistle, a powerful epistle, one of my favorites. And he talks about the fact that this Jesus, we've got more as Christians. We've got more than what the Jews got, the Judaizers. And he said he was superior to the prophets, Superior to the angels, Amen. superior to Moses, Amen. superior to Joshua because he gave them true rest, superior to the Aaronic priesthood because he's now the Melchizedek priest. He introduced a superior covenant that was based on a superior sacrifice, his own. And one of the things that he's careful to introduce is the fact that we have a priest. This priest is not idle. This priest is in his heavenly role now, interceding for us, mediating for us, praying for us. And Paul tells us in Hebrews 3, he's the apostle and high priest of our profession. So profession and confession is important because he's mediating and ministering over our confession. From the confession of salvation... When I said, Lord Jesus, I receive you into my heart, he took that confession, and he began to apostle you, and he began to high priest you in this process, bringing you to the fruit of the Spirit and unto the perfect man's stature of Jesus. Is that good? So he's watching over you. Listen, church. He's um, priesting you. He's shepherding you. And Paul introduces him in Hebrews chapter 5 
And then in chapter 6, he's talking about the process of maturity. But then again in chapter 7 in particular, and then on from there in chapter 8, he introduces this Melchizedek, king of Salem, you know, and uh, king of righteousness and king of peace. He introduces him and says, you know, like Melchizedek, without beginning of days, end of days, no genealogy. In other words, Melchizedek just appeared. In other words, Jesus appeared. And he's got no beginning. He's got no end. He's eternal. So he's not a temporal priest, and he's not with fault. He's perfect. But that doesn't make him someone who's not able to sympathize and empathize with our weakness. He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. When you're struggling with someone, it touches him, and he's there to priest you. Then in chapter 8, he goes, the point of what I'm saying is this, Paul says, we have such a high priest. (laughs) Powerful, isn't it? So in Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 12, and this is what we're going to jump on in, onto our teaching with, and I've got limited time. But anyway, it's been good so far. Nice thing is I can stop anywhere and pick it up next week because the word is eternal. So Paul talking to the Hebrew Christians, he says, For when by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles. And he says, For by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God or the word of God or the teachings of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So right here we can see the Apostle Paul is taking us through something, and he's beginning to speak. Take us to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, and he says, Therefore, leaving the principles, the basic principles, the early principles, the rudimentary or the fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ, he says, let's go on to what? To perfection. So where are we going to? Perfection. We're going on to maturity. So one of the things that the book of Hebrews is concerned about is two aspects. Immaturity, maturity. Babes, adults. And Paul is talking about the fact that these Christians who are kind of floundering and not understanding clearly the word, he says, you babes. And we'll mark it. Let's write it down. So immaturity... He says is this. Now remember, another way of saying it is more or less being carnal. And that's what Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, brothers, I could not, and we touched on that in our first message, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Spiritual is not how much you pray, how accurately you can prophesy, how many visions you have, how continuously you hear the word of God, you know, and he's just spouting out all these words and you just repeat. That's not spirituality. Spirituality is not even how many people you get healed. Those are all gifts. Spirituality is to do about the cultivation of the life with the gifts. It's how much of Jesus we are like. That's spiritual. Paul says, I can't address you as spiritual You Corinthian Christians who lack no spiritual gift, who speak in tongues so much whenever you get together that, you know, 
nobody even knows what you're saying, but you're walking around, shabba, check, I've got a new tongue this week. You know, and I've got a new tongue. Oh, I've got five tongues. Well, I've got 17. And you know, and all this kind of showmanship going on, Paul goes, whoa, 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 you can't even agree. There's no unity among you. There's no love. You know, he says, you're not spiritual. What? And everybody's wearing their badges of the gifts. Check, 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 check. I've healed someone, delivered somebody, you know, miracles, blind eyes, you know, I can do this. They lacked no spiritual gift. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 1. No spiritual gift. Just like, so, so listen, so where's the fruit? But that's spiritual. So let's have a look. First is, what Paul talks about, he says that you're dull of hearing, hard of hearing, immature. But I can hear Jesus, I can prophesy. No, but are you hearing his word? That word is full of stuff. Are we hearing it? And hearing in the Hebrew doesn't mean you just heard it. It means you accept it and you're doing something about it. That's hearing. Dull of hearing. You need to still be taught. Look, we'll always need to be taught, but Yari is talking about the basics. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, grow up. Come on, grow up, man. And you need to be taught. You drink milk. Daniel was telling me a funny story down in the Cape somewhere, there's this mother who had this desperate need to keep on breastfeeding her child. And they said the one day they were there and the child had to leave home and come to the workplace, five years old. And uh, in a distance, when the, <laughs> when the child saw the mother, he started running, Mama, Titi, Mama, Titi. Grabbed her blouse, just lifted up and had to stand there and drink, five years old. How many of you know infant? You can laugh. Okay, I, I think even online they say that word. Okay? There's a lot of Christians like that. That's how they come to church. That's how they lead their whole lives. Five years old, still drinking milk. Still drinking milk. Being an infant. And look what he says. Not accustomed, let's say, not used to the word of righteousness. Unaccustomed to the word of righteousness. Not accustomed to the word of righteousness. Now let me just park over here a little bit and just take a deep breath. And there's a lot of people, and I hear them, and um, they quote the word of righteousness very accurately, but only half of it. So the word of righteousness. What is the word of righteousness? The word of righteousness is this, that by the work of Jesus on the cross, and when I put my faith in him, he makes me and declares me the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. Is that okay, church? And as the righteousness of God, there's no longer any judgment on us. There's no judgment. Our judgment was the cross. Jesus took the judgment on the cross. So the judgment seat of Christ is the cross of Jesus. That's where your old life, my old life, that's where all of our sin was judged and dealt with. You are so free that Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that no one can even make any charge against you. He said, who will bring any charge against you? No one, not God, not Jesus. He rose for you. He says, basically, you are blameless in Christ Jesus. In other words, no one can even point a finger at you and say, you're to be blamed. We are blameless in Christ. Woo. Isn't that awesome? And so there will not be any judgment. 
Not a judgment seat of Christ when you die. Not a great white throne judgment. There's no judgment. Another way of saying it is condemnation. Not just that you struggle with guilty feelings. There is therefore now, Romans chapter 8 verse 1. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation, no judgment, which means there'll be no damnation. Okay, man, that's good news, man. Come on. There's no condemnation, no judgment, negative. The only judgment you will have one day is when you'll say, pardon, free, guiltless, I see my blood. You are the righteousness of God. So Paul says it like this in another way of saying it. When you got saved, he took you and he put you in Christ. You could also say, and then he put Christ in you. Now that's what he did. Everybody following me. And so, so the word of righteousness, that's the word of righteousness. But that's only the A part of righteousness. Let me tell you what the B part of righteousness is. So you, you, all the righteousness people, you only hear them quote this. The B part of righteousness sounds like this. Therefore be holy. Even as I am holy, says the Lord. Be holy. So let's use the Christ imagery that Paul uses. So in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll have a look at it now, but what we might need to do is just look at the mature group first. The B part of righteousness is this. Paul says in Ephesians 4, you were taught in Christ. To put off your former self, which is being corrupted, which is deceitful. Put it off. You were taught in him to put on the new self. So he puts us in Christ. He puts us in Christ. According to Ephesians 4, we put Christ on Come on, that's a revelation. We put Christ on. Numerous passage of Scripture. Numerous passage of Scripture. Clothe yourself, therefore, with Christ. Amen? So clothe ourselves with Christ. There is Ephesians 6. Put on this armor of light, the armor of God. That's putting on Christ. Is that okay? And so there's a lot of Scriptures about putting on, clothing yourself with. And so it's great. Part A of righteousness, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Part B, well then, if that's the truth, which it is, church, put on Christ. So in other words, when you put under a spiritual forensic microscope, you talk right. You think right. You walk right. You live right. You do right. Come on, church. And you know, these are messages that are not taught. They're not taught. It's unpopular. It's when your attendance goes down when you teach on these things. It goes up when you teach on how to prophesy, how to be prosperous. Start teaching on how to be holy. The ushers arrive because they have to. The band's got to be here, so they're here. It's a shame they've got to hear it. But how to be holy. And you know that the apostle Paul is quite tough on it. I don't know if you ever read some of, you know, the beloved John, the apostle, the one that's so full of love. 
You read 1 John. If anyone keeps on habitually sinning, he's a liar. Truth is not in him. It's of the devil. What? The apostle of love. You go and read 1 John. I'm not talking about we blow it occasionally. Understand what I'm saying. But where there's a confession of faith and there's a declaration of the word of righteousness. But basically, by and large, you live no better than the world. John says you've actually denied him. And so there's this need not only to have an imparted righteousness, an imputed righteousness, but I call it actual righteousness. They're both actual, yeah. but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. In other words, a lived out, manifested, you know, righteousness. Yeah. So the signs of immaturity are there, but the mature ones, the grown-up ones, he says, are on solid food. In other words, they eat milk and meat. So that's number one. They're on solid food. Second thing, he says they have got, they practice. I think the King James says, by reason of use. Now, how many of you can see that that's sounding like a little bit of work? So by reason of use, and I think the word practice there, by reason of use, is the same thing as the training for a wrestler, something like that, or an athlete. In other words, they trained themselves. So Paul talks about physical training is of little value, but godliness, now he's comparing training. In other words, what Paul is talking about there is saying, so if you're going to train physically, um, it has got limited value. But train yourself to be godly, which has got eternal value. Is that okay? So everybody say training. Training. I need to train. I need to exercise myself to be godly. Now, how many of you know that right there it sounds a little bit like a little bit of effort? It sounds like, you know, kind of like I've got to do something here. I've got to, I've got to really work on this. Is it okay? When last did you take time, and I asked it a few weeks ago, to work on an issue that you're struggling with, where you made it a matter of word study, where you made it a matter of prayer, and where you made it a matter of self-controlled discipline in your life, and say, this thing has got to change. It's the same. It's the same as, instead of sitting around waiting for the provision of God, get up and do something. Leon was just telling me in the offering time, he said, you know, you're so right. He said, remember, you know, he had another car and it needed an upgrade, was always giving problems. And he said, I've taught that morning, don't just pray, do something. And he realized I need to do something. So he thought, well, okay, well, let me just go and find out. He went to the dealer and uh, he thought, well, let me just go and look. I don't have the money. And when he got to the dealer and he walked in, the favor of God was on him so strongly that the salesman looked at him, and I think he might have even been a, the dealer principal, looked at him, and he felt in his heart, I have to do something for this man. Yeah. And he was able to trade that vehicle in and get a good price and get a, the vehicle that he wants, a much better vehicle, you know, newer and in better condition for just such a price that he was able to afford it. But it's when he got up and did something. Amen. It's the same with your holiness, church. Sometimes we don't want to deal with it because it's convenient. I don't know how we can find convenience in pain, but some people do. So in John chapter 5, you know, I remember we had a guy in the church, and he said, some Christians are like this. He says, you go down the road, and there's a guy standing on the corner of the road, and he's hitting his head against the lamppost. Pang, 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 the blood's flowing. And uh, he went up to this guy, and he says, what, what's the matter? What are you doing? He says, no, no, I'm doing this because it feels so nice when I stop. 
That's like a lot of Christians. How is it that in John chapter 5, Jesus goes to a man crippled for 38 years, finds him at the pool of Bethesda, and says to him, do you want to be healed? Sometimes we get something out of our pain. Sometimes it gives us attention. Sometimes it gives us control. Sometimes not in touch with what fragments us and what hurts us. But that's why this process is so important. Because that kind of thing needs to come from the Spirit of God to illumine and to reveal. Sometimes he doesn't even have to say it. All he's got to do is say, do this, forgive. And the implications, the outcome is so profound. People, once they've released unforgiveness or anything else, have been physically healed. Andre was showing me a, a thing. It's on Netflix. It's called Heal. Not necessarily Christian, but it can be Christian. And um, this lady studied 1,500 cases worldwide of people who had got totally, totally healed of cancer, where it was just not even in their bodies anymore. And she listed nine things that were common to all those 1,500 people. And only two of them were physical. Seven were spiritual. The two physical things were change your diet and take supplements. The spiritual things were like deepen your connection to God spiritually. Release negative emotions, forgive, etc., etc., etc. The power of just simply doing what God says has got immeasurable eternal consequences and impact, but it's part of your process. But in the process, it feels like death to yourself. Welcome, it is. It is. It's denying something in yourself that you're holding onto for convenience sake. But who wants to stay in the poison of unforgiveness, in the gall of bitterness? Who wants to stay in all of that stuff? I don't want to stay in that. Come on, we're good at we're good at shortcutting our own spiritual growth. Let's get good at growing. So by reason of use of what? Of the senses, have their senses trained. Now, how many of you know you've got senses? How many are common senses a rare commodity? It's not so common, hey? But your senses trained. You've got five physical senses, and this is what the apostle actually means here. You've got sight and smell, touch and taste and hearing. You've got five physical senses. The five physical senses bring in so much information with this physical world. And those five senses can be your ally or they can be your enemy. And they are enemies if they're connected with the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Amen? Because your sense of taste, you know, can lead to uh, ever-expanding something. You know, so, so the, the sense of touch, sense of, so the, it's, they are gateways of information. But Paul talks about the fact that spiritual mature people have trained those senses. So let's talk about that in a moment. But they've trained their senses, he says, to discern good and evil. So they are discerning. In other words, I've so trained my eyes, I've so trained my ears, I've so trained my taste and my smell and my sense of touch that they become not just information gatherers, they actually become discerners, to discern good and evil. In other words, I become sensitive to what is evil to avoid it, and I become sensitive to what is good 
to give myself into it. So it's not allies of an unrenewed mind. It's not allies of a mindset that is wrong. Okay. So Paul talks about those spiritual senses. And I always look for a verse on, and I found it when I was studying this week, on the spiritual sense of smell. I found it. What about the spiritual sense of taste? So taste and see that the Lord is good. Now that you've tasted, you know, of his goodness and grace in First Peter. And, uh, and, and so there's many about tasting. Now that you've tasted of the good word of God, Hebrews 6, tasted of the powers of the age to come, Hebrews 6. So that there's a spiritual sense of taste. So when you start enjoying the Lord, it's the same as your physical sensation of taste. And you start to realize, man, God is so good. He's so Amen. awesome. Right? You read his word and it's like you consume, it's like you're eating and it's like, I, just, I can't get enough of the word. And then the eyes, the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. Is that okay? Many other verses where you start to see and, you know, the things of God. And then the hearing, he that is an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. So there's an internal sense of hearing, a spiritual sense of hearing. And uh, there's a spiritual sense of touch. That's why he says, touch not the unclean thing. Come out and be separate from them. In other words, don't have an affiliation and an affinity and attraction to the things that are evil. So there's a spiritual sense of touch where you can walk into a place and you can just sense this is wrong. Is that okay? You can just sense, I need to be out of here. You sense, I can't be a part of this. So that's the mature. They've got their physical senses trained to discern. Then the spiritual sense of smell. In Isaiah 11, 3, it talks about, you know, Jesus having the full measure of the Spirit upon him. And uh, the one translation, it's the revised version. In the margin against Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3, it says, He shall be of quick scent in the fear of the Lord. Wow. Talking about Jesus. Quick scent. In the fear of the Lord. In other words, he's fast to smell things that God would be displeased of because he has the fear of the Lord in his heart, the reverence and the respect of God. Amen? So the Apostle Paul just takes us a little bit further. Now, I want to just show you that he's talking about growth, okay? I want you to go into Hebrews chapter 6, and uh, I want you to have a look in verse 1. So he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let's go on to perfection. Come on, church. If you want to hear the word of the Lord over the last few weeks, this is it. Let's go on to perfection. Let's get on to maturity. Come on, let's grow up. Let's stop struggling with the things that we're struggling with. There is a healing. There is a balm in Gilead. Amen. Yeah, you had it tough. Yes, you were abused. Yes, you were taken advantage of. Yes, you were self-esteem. Yes, I, all of those things. But surely, the cross of Christ Jesus is the answer. He is the healing. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time. Surely, we need to progress past all of this introversion and low self-esteem and lack of confidence and all this kind of thing. And yes, it's a process. So come on, let's move on. Let's go on to perfection. Let's stop messing around with the milk. Let's get on to the solid food. And then he lists what they are. And then he talks about it in chapter 4. It's impossible for those once enlightened who've tasted the Holy Ghost, who partakers of the Holy Ghost, tasted of the good word and the powers of the world to come, if they should fall away to renew them again. But if they repent, they will get saved. Is that okay? Or, or come back. Now listen to this, church. I want you to listen to this. I knew these verses were there. Early hours of Saturday morning is when the Lord gave me this message. 
I was going to start preaching Christmas message. Early hours of Saturday, I woke up in the night, and the Lord started to speak to me about these verses. Are you all listening? So I'm aware that he's not only speaking to me so that I can preach to you, tell you how good I am and how bad you are, and you need to be more like me. I'm not. That wasn't it. The Lord was speaking to me for me to speak to you for you. In verse 7, his earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh often upon it and bringeth forth herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing from God. In other words, land, put it in the NIV, land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. Now, can I remind you, Paul says in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, you are God's building, you are God's field. Who's dressing you? Who's cultivating? Who's gardening your life? The one who expects a harvest from it. He's done everything. He planted the seed. He often sends rain. Come on, church. If you don't understand, this morning it's raining. Through the word, it's raining. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered. How did Paul plant the word? How did Apollos water? He shared the same word. So they really had the seed of the word. Now they got the water of the word. That was what was watering the gospel in their lives. And so land that drinks in the rain, often falling on, produces a crop useful for those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. The blessing of God. Everybody wants the blessing of God. Blessing of God. Say, I want the blessing of God. Now, everybody wants the blessing of God. Bless me, man of God. Bless me. No, from now on, I am thinking I'm going to start saying, how are you living? Are you living holy? Because you're the ones that receive the blessing of God. And so they're the ones that receive the blessing of God. Why? Because they, they have as a priority what God has got a priority. Sometimes we cry, whinge, moan, fall apart because you didn't get money. God is more committed to your character than your comfort. I want the blessing of God. How many want the blessing of God? <laughs> There's a life to live. Verse um, 8. But land that produces thorns and thistles, the flesh, the flesh, is worthless. There's no glory to God in that fruit. God is not glorified by your vicious temper. God is not glorified by your impatience. God is not glorified by our lovelessness. God is not glorified by our judgmentalism. He's not glorified. Those are thorns and thistles. Is in danger of being cursed. The exact opposite. In the end, it will be burned. Come on, church, this is tough words. Pastor John, I thought you were grace, pastor, now you're preaching law. No, I'm not preaching law, I'm preaching principle. This is not law, this is principle. Here's my verse to you. Next verse, verse 9. This is Apostle John speaking. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, I'm confident of better things as far as you're concerned. Amen. Things that accompany salvation. Did you hear that? Yeah. Things that what? 
accompany salvation. So I want you to have a look at verse 11. Like I said, it's much nicer to sleep at 3 o'clock in the morning than have the Holy Spirit preach to you. But on another hand, I'm grateful because then I've got the sermon. Verse 11. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. Verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Not things, fruit. Not stuff, character. So what is Paul talking about? He's talking about to the Christian Hebrews who were in danger of going back to the law, and basically what he was saying, to remember how much effort you put in when you were under the law. How much diligence so that you could tick off every law and say, I've done it. The laws of the Sabbath, which is like some 600 rules, you tick them off so you would get the Sabbath law exactly right. Why don't you show the same diligence in your Christian walk? Why don't you give this salvation, which is far greater and more superior, why don't you, with correct understanding of grace, the correct understanding of the word of righteousness, Give it the same attention because then you will inherit the promises. You will be blessed. It's time. Let me just quickly read Ephesians 4. You all following? We're going to close with this. We can stop anywhere. So this morning, I could change the title and I could entitle the sermon, How to Be Blessed. Because then we would get more amens. Ephesians 4. Look at verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, I'm reading from the King James, walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. He says, in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding. Let's just write futility. This is childishness. This is carnality. In the futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding. He says, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. How many of you know a few times, I think it was Paul that said, brethren, I I would not have you ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant about communion. I don't want you to be ignorant about the coming, the appearing of Jesus. So I'm writing these things. Is that okay? The ignorance in them because of the hardness of their hearts. But Pastor John, I thought I'm saved and I'm... You are. But we need to deal with these things. Amen? And then that causes us to be excluded from the life of God. Not totally, but partially in areas that matter. They become callous. You ignore the Holy Spirit long enough when He speaks to you or ignore the Word of God where it's very explicit. You become callous to that because you can read it. You read it. And I won't speak to you. Callous. So those are just some of the marks of the mind of the immature, the immature mind. Okay, I'm going to stop now. Let me wind it down. Let me just bring it to a conclusion. The Apostle Paul says, if we live by the Spirit and keep in the step with the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we have the love for the Father and the love of the Father in us, our senses will be trained 
and we won't have a lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life for the things that are in the world, the temporal things. Our senses will be so trained, those same senses will be so exercised that instead of being an enemy, it becomes an ally. And suddenly, that which would trip me up now suddenly becomes a friend to me and an assistance to me and a help to me with the Holy Spirit. And I'm able to discern and to distinguish between good and evil because I'm trained and exercised by it. And this exercise of godliness has got eternal value. And so I do the will of the Father. And my mind is renewed. The spirit of my mind is changed. And I'm not conformed to the pattern of this world. I'm transformed. And so when I got saved, because I understand the word of righteousness, God put me in Christ, put Christ in me. And then I understand it so much that now I'm taught in the word. I now put on Christ over myself. I put it on as armor so that when the day of evil comes, I'm able to stand, that I walk with God. Sure footing of the gospel of peace, I am sure that I'm sanctified, justified, I'm righteous, I'm holy. I have the belt of truth around my waist. Truth in the inner man, truth in the inward parts. Truth comes to set me free. I've got the shield of faith, which is, covers all of these things. I've got the helmet of the hope of salvation. In other words, the hope of salvation is that I look at Jesus and I know I will be like him. I will be like him, a perfect man. I will come to the full stature of the measure, the image of Christ, the hope of salvation. I have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's two-edged. It not only speaks to those when it comes out of my mouth that I'm speaking to, but it speaks to me as well. It cuts not only there, but it cuts me. It's a double-edged sword. In other words, it's very precise. It's very sharp. And as I'm holding on to the Word of God, the apostle and high priest of my confession ministers to me. He is in the order of Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace. And uh, the king of righteousness, righteousness results in peace, perfect with peace with God. And so then I am automatically producing fruit, even though, you know, there's a lot of cultivation that is going on. So I drink in the rain that often falls, and then I'm producing a harvest that is pleasing to God because he is the one under whose husbandry I am. And then comes the blessing of God. Amen. Let me just say it again. ACF, I'm confident of better things for you. I'm confident of things that apply to salvation. Because you hear, you sit through long teaching, long messages. You hear the word of God. You absorb. Even when you're feeling condemned. Even though when God is speaking to you. But it's because you love the Lord. And you have this hunger for the word. I want to tell you that if we walk these ways, we shall experience the blessing Amen. of God. And then all of this together is how by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Mm. Is that okay? If we walk like this, you will find power will be automatic. Yeah. God cannot give unlimited power to characterless Christians Amen. because they will self-destruct. Yeah. Many ministries have pushed for the power when they were not rooted in character. And the tree got lopsidedly big, and the tree came down with a great crash, and great was the fall, and great was the shame. But if you have roots and fruits, roots and fruits, character and power, it's the balance that God wants. Then he can trust you so that you don't self-destruct, so you don't wound others, so you bring glory to his name. He can unleash more of his power and his ability through you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I bless you. 
I declare that you are led of the Spirit, that you are alive because of the Spirit. I declare that you walk in the Holy Spirit. I declare that your senses are becoming your ally. I declare that all of your five senses are aligning with the Spirit of God so that you're able to discern what is right and wrong, what is good, and that you are growing up into maturity. I declare over you that you are becoming teachers in the Word, understanding the Word of righteousness fully in its, in its entirety that you're drinking in the rain that often falls on you, and you're producing a harvest that's good, acceptable, and pleasing to God. You're doing His will. Therefore, I declare, you've attracted the blessing of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. Why give Jesus a hand. His word is awesome. Hallelujah.